show and tell here, but I thought about it. We were singing the greatest hits of EBC for the past whatever, and I noticed Shout to the Lord, 1993. I never would have heard that song had my buddy, Curtis Rippey, not said, you need to go hear this guy named Tom Nelson at this place called Metro. It's a Bible study for singles. You're single. He's teaching the Word. There are girls there. You need to go because that's where you need to be. And so I, I went to this study. And I went and I heard that song. The first time I heard that song. And Michael Armstrong was singing it. I remember him singing it. And I didn't know the song, but I kept going back and hearing the song. And I eventually memorized the song so I can sing it up here. I didn't even have to look at the words. But God, in His sovereign plan, put it on Curtis Rippey's heart to tell me to go to Metro Bible Study. And I went to Metro Bible Study, and I was so moved by the Word of God that I went down and I talked to that pastor, and I said, whatever it is, whatever that is that you're teaching, that has so moved me, I want to learn that. And he said, well, do you want to start learning it at 6 a.m. in the morning? I said, I said, whatever it is. And so I went and drove to Denton, Texas. I'd never been to Denton, Texas. I was from Dallas. I'm a city boy. Some of you saw that this past weekend. I camp in Winnebago's. That's how we do it. All right? And it's, it's delightful with a furnace um, built in. Right? And so I'm in Dallas, and he said, you got to come to Denton. I was like, where's Denton? Just go north on 30. And I'm driving by faith. You know, walk by faith, not by sight. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'll get off here. And I end up at this church. I talk to this man. And my whole life, I had been a believer, but had never been introduced to the idea of reading my Bible systematically, being discipled, and then taking that message to the world. Never even heard of it. I was raised a good Baptist. <laughs> never even heard of it. And I do that. And I start reading the Bible. And then I go, you know what? I, I don't know if I, I should do this, and a, but I really want to go study this more in depth. And a friend of mine said, look, uh, don't over-spiritualize it. You get on your knees and pray, and you start making plans, and God will open the door. And so I got on my knees and prayed, filled out the application. I went to Dallas Seminary. And when I go to the ordination of Dallas Seminary, I go to get a drink of water. And this woman, young woman, makes a beeline towards me and the water pitcher. And I'm thinking, wow, she's coming right at me. And I said, would you like some water? And I gave her water, and I served her. And then I went away and I came back the two months later to start class and we're in this chapel and there's that woman. And I go strategically, prayerfully and strategically go sit right in front of her. And I said, oh, you're Ashley. And by, by my friend who said, you need to go hear Tom Nelson. And then I go to Metro Bible Study and then I get and go to this church, Denton Bible Church, and start studying the scripture. And then I go to seminary. And then I meet my wife. And we meet together. And we date. I ask her to marry me. She said yes. She didn't cry, but she said yes. I thought she was going I, to... I pictured. And God, sometimes you have in your mind what... It's going to happen, and God says, that's not, and I'm picturing her just bawling and weeping like, oh, yes, I can't wait. She's like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> right? And I could go, and I could tell you Curtis Rippey's story. 
He played golf at the University of Missouri, and he could, he could walk you through his story and how God's hand of providence was over his life and how he brought us together. I could tell you the story of Dr. Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, New York. Do you know how he got there? He went to a certain seminary. And at that seminary, he was wrestling with, well, what, what denomination should I be in? And there just happened to be a visiting pastor from England who was a part of a Presbyterian church. And he said, everything I know about you theologically, you should be a Presbyterian. Well, how did that visiting pastor from Britain get there? Well, he was there on a visa that he received from Gerald Ford. Well, how did he get that visa from Gerald Ford? It's because there were some other guys at that seminary and Gerald Ford's son was there. They were in a prayer meeting. It was mentioned that this guy was coming over and needing a visa. And Gerald Ford's son says, well, I know somebody. Well, how did Gerald Ford get into office? Because Nixon had to resign. Well, why did Nixon have to resign? It's an election year. Watergate. Well, how did Watergate happen? It's because some men broke into the Democratic headquarters. Well, how did that get discovered? Because a night watchman saw that there was a door open. And so two inches. In God's sovereign hand, two inches is how Dr. Tim Keller got to Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Two inches. Do you think that just happened by chance? Do you just think it happened by chance this morning? Running a little behind, wanting to get to the church and serve. Still hungry, though. I reach in there, and I didn't close my eyes, but I reached into the pantry, pulled out of the kids' cliff bar. I'm eating my kids' food, I know. The kids' cliff bar box, and I got the iced oatmeal cookie. Yummy. Did that happen by chance? Two inches, gets a pastor in New York who's having major influence on that society. Just happened to reach in, get the iced oatmeal cookie. Just happened to meet a guy. If I could go back just one step further in how I met Curtis, I was wrestling in my young single life. I was wrestling with the world. I was wrestling with God. I had not yet fully submitted to him, and I had one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And I woke up one day, and I was a a bit... um, Let's just say my head hurt from the night before. And so I said, but I got to go to church. And I go to church and I go to this men's Sunday school class. And this guy's talking and speaking my language. And I said, I got to go talk to that guy, Curtis Rippey. And then we started meeting for breakfast at Kubi's in Dallas in the city, not on the campsite. It was in a city where they have seats and booths and cars. And I'm eating oatmeal with him. And then he mentions Tom Nelson. And you get the story. And I could go back all the way back. Did that happen by chance? Nothing happens by chance. Nothing. And so today, uh, I believe, and I really hope that we walk away from here more free, more bold to understand because of God's sovereignty and that nothing happens by chance, we can be more free and bold and joyful in all our decisions. I don't believe in luck. I don't think Christians should believe in luck. I think we should redefine it. It's where providence meets preparation. And so today we're dealing with sovereignty. It's a unique word. It's a big word. Uh, It comes from German and Latin. The Latin super means above, reign, the king. And so we have God's super reign. God's above all things. God rules all things. He oversees life on earth. And let me, let me explain it to you like this, because I think this is the best biblical idea of God's sovereignty And this is it. God's sovereignty precedes and enables 
human responsibility. God's sovereignty precedes, it comes before, and enables. It is the power for human responsibility without removing accountability all to his glory. God's sovereignty precedes, it comes beforehand. You'll see that. It enables, it gives us the power. And it doesn't remove our accountability. And it's all for his glory. So how, how, how understanding this is this going to help you in your life today? It's not just a theological idea. I think if we understand this and this story today, we better hope in God's sovereignty. I think you'll walk out of here more bold. I think you will walk out of here free. I don't think your hands will be tied anymore, Lord willing. Oh, I just don't know what decision to make. I think you will walk out and say, okay, I'm to do uh, what God's called me to do and be faithful to the scriptures. And I understand he overrules it all. And it's going to be okay. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. And we're going to look at the promise of God and the providence of God. And here's the main point I just want to tell you up front. A big understanding of God's sovereignty frees us to live boldly for God's glory. A big understanding of God's sovereignty frees us to live boldly for God's glory. Father, as we look into these verses I ask for what only you can do. I ask for you to work through your word in our hearts so that our lives are changed. I firmly believe what you wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, that if we receive this Bible, not as the word of men, but from you, that it will perform its work in us. And I pray that it does this today. I pray that life would never, ever, ever be the same because we have a big understanding of how grand you are and that would free us to joyfully, willfully walk by your power and make good decisions. And Lord, when we don't, we would rest that you're working all things for good to those who love you and are called by your name. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we got all the way through 2511 last spring. And so we're just picking it back up. And you'll notice in verse 12 and verse 19, Uh, These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. And so we're picking it up in verse 12. This is a new section. And in the book of Genesis, that's where a new section comes. These are the generations of. You should have it in your Bible. There's 10 of them. Uh, Yes, there's 10 of them. And you should have them highlighted because we're switching gears. We're moving from growing strong in faith to a man who will wrestle with God, literally. And he will come to rest in God. But we begin with um, his great, what would he be? Let's see here. Isaac's, that's Isaac's brother. It'll be Jacob's uncle. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the son of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Naaboth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kadar, Adbeel, mid Mib, Sab, Mish, Ma, Duma, Masa, Haidad, Tama, Jeter, Naphish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael and their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and he died and he gathered to his people. They settled in Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. And here's the key. He settled over and against his kinsmen, or literally, he fell against his people. And so you see from the very beginning, 
that God is a promise keeper. You're saying, well, how did he keep a promise? If you flip back to 1720, you'll see that God made a promise uh, to Hagar in 1720. made a promise to Abraham here, and he says, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him, a fruit, make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall, ga- he shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. And so there it is. You see it in 25, 12 through 18. God keeps his commitments. The first thing we need to know about God's sovereignty is we are free to live boldly, knowing God keeps his commitments and he even keeps them to unbelievers who may persecute us. That he fell upon his kinsmen. That he persecuted his own people. That God is a God of covenant and he keeps his commitments, even in common grace, even to those who oppose him. That is the common grace of an uncommon God. And though God's people are opposed through grace we see that we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. And then if we pick it up in 19, we're now looking at the providence of God, that he is sovereign over every situation. He is sovereign over iced, uh, whatever this is, iced oatmeal cookies that I chose. He's sovereign over a Bible study that I went to. He was sovereign over the exact day that I showed up at seminary. I didn't go to seminary a year before, didn't go to seminary a year after. I went that year. Praise be to God. Amen right here in front of you in living color. (laughs) So here we have it in 1219, the sovereignty of God. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And so what you're going to see is we are free to live boldly Because three things are going to come out in verses 19 through 34 through the rest of the chapter. You're going to see that God has decided our destinies. Predetermined. He has. And he has designed each and every person in this room differently. And he directs all our decisions for his glory. First and foremost, we see in 19 through 23 that he has decided our destinies. And this is not some fatalistic view of life. It's the most hopeful view of all of life. In fact, Christians aren't the only ones that believe in something that is sovereign. It used to be, sociologically speaking, that you were born into a family and that is how it happened. Just because of however it happened, out of karma or whatever, this is your caste. And it still goes on in some countries today. Now, we're more sophisticated than that as Americans. And we believe it's biology. I am what I am because this is the way I've evolved. I personally believe the sociological and biological views of sovereignty are hopeless. We need to hold to this view, that, that God is sovereign and he has allowed for human choice. And so we see in 21 through 23 that Isaac prayed to the Lord his wife because she was barren and that the Lord granted his prayer and as Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her and she said, if this is thus, why is this happening to, happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She prayed, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And we notice first off that these are a praying couple. Isaac interceded for his wife. 
Gentlemen, there's nothing more masculine than for you and I to be on our knees praying for our wives. She was barren. It's a theme of Scripture. That this child that was going to come to them was only going to be because God's grace. And it said the Lord literally uh, granted his prayer. He gave out of his own love and generosity. He granted his prayer and she conceived. And then she, she thought she was pregnant. And, you know, ladies that have carried babies and husbands who have felt tummies that have moved, you can see the baby moving in there and you, you felt it, right? Well, there's a whole lot of shaking going on in here. And so she's literally, she, literally she says, what, what is this in me? Why? And so she inquires, God, why? This, this isn't just the little kick. It's not just the little hand that moves. I mean, there's something going on in here. And he says, well, let me tell you why. And ladies, she prays. There's nothing more attractive than a woman who's down on her knees asking God to give her direction. And so he gives her a divine sonogram of sorts, right? He not only tells her that you have a baby in your stomach, you have twins. And she's like, oh, and let me just tell you about these twins. They're not just two boys. These are nations. Nations are coming from your womb. These aren't just children. By the way, if I've already figured this whole thing out and this is what's going to happen, two people will come from you and they will be divided. The one will be stronger than the other. We're still left. Who's that going to be? But it says the older will serve the younger. God is in heaven and he does what he pleases. That's Psalm 15, 3. And he's going against all local customs here. That, that the local custom said, no, the older gets the inheritance. The older is the one uh, who rules, and it would be the younger who would serve the older. And God goes against all social customs of his times. He chose Seth over Cain. He chose Abram out of Ur. He chose Isaac over Ishmael. And he here chooses Jacob over Esau. He's, he, Jacob is the biblical destiny's child. And so the first thing we're going to learn about God's sovereignty is that he has declared the beginning from the end. And all things in between. Look at this verse from Isaiah. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. There's no other gods out there. There's only one, Yahweh. What did this God do? He did three things, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done. He understood the exact day that when he said, let there be light, and light was created. And he understands the exact date, Acts 1 tells us that, when Jesus is coming back. And life on earth as we know it will be vastly different. And everything in between. He declared it, and then he says, saying, my counsel, my advice, my plans shall stand. I will accomplish all. All my purpose. He describes it. Calling a bird of prey from the east, I oversee the birds. The man of my counsel from a far country. Maybe he's maybe Isaiah's alluding to Abraham there. He oversees the animals, he oversees humans. Be convinced of this there's not one thing in the world that God has not known prior to its happening. Not one thing. Not one thing. It's all a part of his perfect plan. From the choosing of an oatmeal bar to the ruling of nations. Look at these verses. 
Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. It's getting a little cooler. It's because God's in control. Yes, we can follow the weather scientifically to the point, but it's getting cooler right now in this month and not a month from now because God's in control. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have known and made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel, when he's in with Nebuchadnezzar, is basically saying, don't look to me as the dream keeper. There's one guy who's in control and his name is God. Did Jesus believe like this? You bet he did. Look at these verses. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall from the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That is amazing to me, especially like myself, whose hair is going away. He knew at one time how much hair I had. Now he knows how much hair I don't have. They're numbered. Fear not, therefore you have more value than sparrows. He calls a bird of prey from the east, a man of his counsel from the far country. He even knows the hairs or no hairs on my head and your head, all of them. Whether they be many or few. And how does he do that? It's because it leads us to our next point. He has determined the length of our life. Look at Psalm 139 up here. For you were formed in my, my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. It's up in our daughter's room because we wanted to know where true beauty comes from. But it doesn't stop there. He's not just forming our physical body. He is shaping our life right down to the very day. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. For your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. Note the days that were formed for me when there is not yet one of them. The days that... He knows July 9th, 1973. That's when I was born. And remember a few weeks ago, what are we doing with the dash between the dates? He knows when I'm going to die. The exact date, the exact hour. And he knows everything in between. And so though he is outside of time, before time, he determined our days. He, and he himself, as Jesus, entered the world and worked out his predetermined plan perfectly in space and time. And so time is not the issue. He is before time, in time, he is over time. That is the God to whom we trust. Amen? And he doesn't leave the most important thing in our life to chance. He does not leave our salvation to chance. And not only so, when Rebecca had conceived, Paul, in Romans, picks up on this story in Genesis, and he tells us the purpose of that story then and the thread that goes all the way through Romans. When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, they had no choice in the matter. 
That's what it says. That, that, this is, that I didn't just type. I actually copied that from a Bible. It's Bible. Though they were not yet born, had done nothing either good or bad. Key phrase, and it's set off by dashes there, in order that. Before they were born, before their good or bad works, you will be so happy that God is sovereign when you see the next couple paragraphs. In order that. God's purpose of election might continue or might stand. The NIV, the NAS, New King James says that it might stand, that it might be made prominent, that it might be proved out. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. Now people argue against this, try to do gymnastics around it, Looking through the corridor of time, God saw that who would chose him, and then he elected them. That's like me throwing a dart. Guys, look how good I am at darts. Throw the dart on the back wall there, and then go draw the bullseye around it. It just doesn't work like that. It's what it says. Stated in Genesis, confirmed in Romans. Well, does that mean that I... Don't have a choice. That's not what it means. As you will see, these boys will make choices, but they will work perfectly in God's sovereign plan. This is the electing grace of God. If he gives common grace to all people, he gives electing grace to his people. And so we are free to live boldly and joyfully because we know from the beginning God is in control. And next you will see that we can observe we're made different from one another. Verses 24 and 26. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb, just as God had said. He's a promise keeper. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they named him Esau. Harry. That's his name in Hebrew, Harry. And afterward came out his... With, him, with his hand holding Esau's hill, so his name is Jacob, which literally means take it and by the hill, or he cheats. And his brother came out, his name was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. We'll come back to his birth, or Isaac's uh, age here in a minute. But, but we see from the very beginning, the boys are different. Red, hairy Esau. And notice the, the next verse When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Esau is a a hairy individual. He is skillful in hunting. Now, those of you who are skillful in hunting, don't don't go hyper-literal and go, okay, does that mean I'm Esau? No, that's not what that is. He's a man of the field. But then you have Jacob. He's a heel grabber. He's a cheater. he's, He's not a good man. But he's, he's more quiet. He likes to cook. He dwells in tents. I know what some of you are thinking. Ah, Esau lives in tents. Jacob is in a Winnebago. I see what you're saying. No, that's not how we, we don't read into the text like that. But here you have two different guys. That's God's sovereignty. I'm different than you. You're different than me. That's how God wanted it. They're different. God is sovereign. He creates us differently. 
Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, and Rebekah loved Jacob. And so knowing God's sovereign grace, that he has, designed, he has determined our destinies before we're even born, and that he makes us differently, we can live boldly. I don't have to live and try to be like somebody else. God has created me the way he wants me to be, and we get in trouble. We do get in trouble. Young people, you listen to this. Don't try to be somebody else. You're going to get in trouble if you try to be. Recognize God and his sovereign plan made you exactly who he wanted you to be. And you're here at this church service today, not by accident. You just didn't stumble in. You didn't just choose to do this. You had a choice in the matter, and it fit within God's sovereign plan. And here's where it gets somewhat tricky. In 29 through 34, here's the last point, that though we may not fully understand it, God directs all our decisions in accordance with his predetermined plan. You mean to tell me that God is absolutely sovereign and I'm absolutely responsible? Absolutely. And there's no, there's no uh, problem with that in your mind? None whatsoever. It's, it's the biblical tension of Scripture, and it's wonderful. I am going over here. Follow me. This over here is called a guitar. I do not know how to play it. But I know one thing about this guitar. Whose is this? That's yours. Okay. I won't take yours. Oh, dear. I will plug it back in. I don't even know how to hold it. Is this how you hold it? Right like this? Other way? Okay. Don't laugh. This is a guitar. This is probably pretty expensive. You don't want me to drop it, do you? If you were to string this guitar, you would not start from the top. She's shaking her head no. You would not start up here, would you, guitar player? No. You start from the bottom, and you go up. And I won't mess with her things here because I wouldn't know how to put it back. You start with God's sovereignty, always. That's why I say God's sovereignty precedes and enables human responsibility. You pull it up and you tighten it. And if I were to loosen this, it would sound like boing. If I were to tighten it, it'd sound ding. But here, I won't even try to do any. Do you have a pick in here? I could start strumming. But here, it sounds good. It's because there's proper tension. Well, which is it? God's sovereignty or human responsibility? Yes. But you begin with God's sovereignty. You string up human responsibility and you get good tension. I'm going to walk this carefully back over. We're going to plug it in so we can have some communion music. anything happens now, I am not in trouble. All our decisions, every single one of them, the choice to wear this shirt, the choice to eat this bar, the choice to use this Bible, God's sovereign plan. And when we make good choices, we will be rewarded for them, if not ultimately, if not immediately, definitely ultimately. When we make bad choices, 
We will suffer the consequences. And he's directing all of that. And so in 29, we see these boys' choices. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, chili, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. So not only was he called Harry, but he's also called Red. Names mean things in the Old Testament. And so here's a guy who was born Harry, and he's, he's red, he's hungry, he's famished, literally. I'm hungry. And if you were to read the Hebrew, it would sound like this. Me hungry, me famished, me exhausted. That's what he sounds like. And so Jacob... So Esau said to him, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name is called in Jacob. Being the heel catcher that he is, being the deceiver that he is, says, sell me your birthright now. Did Jacob have to do that? No. God had predetermined when they were in the womb before any good or bad work, who was going to be the leader. The older will serve the younger. Jacob doesn't have to do this, but he does. And he's fits right in with God's plan. Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. What is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold him his birthright to Jacob. Sold his lineage, sold his his future line, sold it for a bowl of Wendy's chili. That's what he did. So hungry, he goes after chili. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate, and he drank, and he rose, and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And so what started in the womb continued in the kitchen, and long before the TV show, we get the first family feud. And so we we shouldn't think that just because Jacob uh, Jacob was the future patriarch, in God's predetermined plan that he is more righteous than Esau. He is a deceiver. And you will see that throughout this entire story. You will see a guy who wrestles with God. Though given the promises of God, he tries to go about God's work his way. They both show no regard for God. The older not only despises his birthright, uh, he, he will go after his people, his own people, just like uh, Ishmael went after the people. He, he despised it. He literally considered it worthless. I don't care about God and, and the things of the family. I, I'm not living for something bigger than myself. I want immediate gratification, and I want it now. And the younger didn't go about it the right way. He was a deceiver. He didn't trust God in God's timing. He said, no, you sell me your birthright. Neither is to be commended. Mo- Moses, through the Holy Spirit, wants to show us that. We should neither be deceiving like Jacob nor despising like Esau. And we should look to the only hero. There's only one hero in this story. There's only one hero in the story of the Bible. God wanted his original readers to see, and you've got to understand who's reading this. The original people of Israel are reading this, getting ready to go into the land. They're thinking to herself, how are we going to do this? This story, they've been told for generations. They know this story. It's now down in for them to hear. And they're thinking, man, 
I am so glad God is overseeing all of this. And so from the beginning up into this time, we saw Adam and Eve didn't follow God's word. We saw Noah didn't follow God's word. We saw Abraham didn't. They all followed it eventually, but not perfectly. And so there's only one hero in the Bible, and it's God. And this text is here to show us, it was there originally to show that as you're going into the land and you know all that's going on, you rest assured that this will work out as God gives grace. Amen? And by God's grace, God's people will succeed, though they seem sometimes to be a part of the problem. We as a church today, we live in an era that is just odd. It's anti-church. It is no, no longer, you guys are good and a good influence on society. Now people say, you guys are the problem with society. You guys are narrow-minded. You guys are this, that, and the other. That's what the world tells us. You're teaching creation. You're not teaching them true science. You're teaching them that they should a man shall love a woman and that they should wait until they get married. You're so restrictive. You're so prude. That's what the world is saying. And they say, well, your God, he either A, doesn't exist, or yeah, yeah, I believe in some higher power that created the world, but he's a distant landlord and has nothing to do with the affairs of the earth. He's left that up to us. No, he hasn't. Not according to Daniel, not according to Isaiah, not according to Jesus. In fact, Jesus had something to say about the church. In Matthew, I think it's Matthew, Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus Christ is right now, presently speaking, even today, 923 at 1109, here in Eagle, and at other churches across this valley, and at other churches in other states, and in churches across the world, and churches in the bush, Jesus Christ is building his church through sinful people. And all their sinful decisions, he's building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Praise God. But the church really doesn't look, I mean, are we really having that much influence? According to that verse, he's building his church. That's why I want us to be joyful, bold, and excited that God is sovereign and he's building his church and we're a part of it. Towards the end of his time on earth, this is what he says in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. I've said all that I've said to you, and I'm going away and I'm leaving you with these words so that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He hadn't yet done it. He hadn't yet gone to the cross, hadn't yet rise to the dead, but he's saying it's done deal. And so yes, there will be striving and struggling. You'll have tribulation. But we are more than conquerors. Amen? We are more than conquerors. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors the way Paul phrases that. He's wanting us to see we're more than conquerors. Shall anything separate me from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress? And he goes on and on and on. He said, no, we're more than conquerors. John picks up on this in 1 John 4. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. This is where we live. 
which you heard from was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. By God's grace, for God's glory, we are presently more than conquerors. We have past tense overcome. It's because God's sovereign plan is that he's working through us to build his church and he's coming back and we can rest in that. Well, what about Jacob and Esau and all their... You better be glad that he showed you from the beginning where it was going because the more we get into this story, you're like, neither one of those two guys are righteous. No, they aren't. Not until Jacob wrestles with God and he has his hip cinched and he finally he has to have his hip broken so he gets down on that knee. And then God blesses him. He wrestles with God until he learns to rest in God. And so for us, let us learn to rest in God so we don't wrestle with God. And knowing God's sovereignty, we are free. This is where I want to end. We are free to be who we are. God has designed each of us differently. We are free to admit when we're wrong. You're free to do it. You have your reputation's not tied to anything. You're not going to lose anything. God in his sovereignty, when we make mistakes, is teaching us. And we're free to make decisions. This one, let this one sink in. You don't have to look for signs and wonders. You don't. I know some of you have career decisions to make. I know some of you are thinking through certain things in your life. God is sovereign. That should comfort you. God is sovereign. And he's given you his word. And if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And by the power of those two things, the objective word and the Spirit's guidance, just make a decision. And if it's a wrong decision, he'll make you wise. Now, if it's a sinful decision, we must repent. But look at Proverbs 16. 1 through 9. This should settle it for us. The plans of the heart belong to man. Plans of your heart belong to you. Good. Make them. But the answer is uh, of the tongue is from the Lord. God is working through your plans. All the ways of man appear in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So you need to check your heart. That's why we need to work on our heart. Thus, we commit our works to the Lord, that we literally roll them onto God and they will be established. Not that we just say, this is my plan and God has to bless it, but we say, this is, is, is my plan in, in line? Has it been rolled upon the Lord? And then they'll be established. The Lord has made everything for his purpose, even the wicked for a day of trouble. Whoa. Did he just say that? Go back, go back. Did he just say that? Solomon just said, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Yeah, he made Ishmael to fall upon his people. He made Esau. He's in control of all of it. Everyone who is arrogant and hard is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured and he will not go unpunished. So in God's sovereign plan, verse 5 now, he, he has worked in accountability? Absolutely, according to verse 5. By steadfast love, I love this, iniquity is toned for. So he knew we were going to sin and he actually planned beforehand to send Jesus to die for our sins? He sure did. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from the evil. I don't want to have God's wrath resting on me. And he, he predetermined to send his son to die on a cross. That's what it says in Acts 2. You men who sent Jesus to the cross, actually worked out God's predetermined plan. Acts 2.23. By steadfast love, 
this is atoned for. And then it says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So there is a way that we can walk with God. Better is a little righteousness than great revenue with injustice. And here's the final one. Last verse, Proverbs 16, 9. So that heart that fears the Lord, that has been atoned for, that it plans, that heart plans his way, in the, but the Lord establishes his steps. Well, which is it? Is it planning or providence? Yes. In God's providence, he's allowed you and I to plan, make decisions. Walk out and make decisions. Whatever decision that you have to make, seek counsel. In other Proverbs, they're not up there, but say, in the abundance of counsel, there's, there's victory. Go to the Bible, pray, but walk out of here bold and joyful, knowing you don't need to get a fleece. You don't need to get a fleece like Gideon. You, if you want one, you can have one. Gideon did not need the fleece. Go read that one again. He didn't need it. He had the word of God. The fleece was to help his weak faith. And if you need that, go for it. You don't need fleeces. God is absolutely sovereign and he loves you so much. He is making you wise. And when we do right, and when we pray and we walk according to the scripture and that answer doesn't happen, we rest in Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. Isaac was 60 year old, 60s year old when she, when she bore them. From 40 to 60. 60 minus 40 is 20. It's good math. It's right math. It's not new math. It's good math. We're almost done. Right? 20 years. Okay. 13 glorious years I've been married. That's, that's a long time. We have three kids. Some of you have been married longer than that. So we haven't even been married 20 years. We don't even know what 20 years of marriage looks like. 20 years is a long time. He had to wait a long time. And so in this idea, if you're, you know God is sovereign, there's that peace. There's a peace. And you can wait. So knowing God is sovereign, I can be patient. Knowing God is sovereign, I can be kind. Knowing God is sovereign, I don't have to be arrogant. Knowing God is sovereign, I don't have to be rude. Knowing God is sovereign, and on and on and on, you see love. You can be loving because you understand that there is a sovereign God who's working through your decisions. Let's not live anymore in the realm of, I wonder if I'm in God's will. You are. You are, you're in God's will. He, he's controlling the world and, and you're making your own decisions and it all works perfectly. One more verse. How, but what about you know, the secret things? Jedi? Those are for him. The secret things, look, they don't, they're not yours. They're not your possession. They don't belong to you. We, we were just singing, I forget the song it was, but we, we walk by faith not by sight. Because if we knew all the hidden things of God, we wouldn't walk by faith. We would walk by sight. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things revealed belong to us, to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So he's given us revealed things. We better know it. Jesus said, it doesn't matter who my mothers and brothers are. Those who do the will of God, they are called my disciples. You're in the will of God. Make a decision. Don't sin. And when you do sin, 
do what Jesus did. You go straight to the cross, you ask for forgiveness, and you know what he'll say? He'll say to you, just like he says to me all the time in his word, go and sin no more. <laughs> That's what he'll say. Just thank you for recognizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you've bowed your... Now go and sin no more. And then if you're doing things right, trust. Your goal is to be faithful. It's not to figure everything out. You don't need signs and wonders. Go with God's grace. Go knowing he's absolutely sovereign. I know some of you are, what, you, you're, should I take this job? Should I do? Pray, seek counsel, make a decision. And then you've done God's will. But what if, we, that's a what if. We don't know. What I, I literally wrap it up here. Go to my buddy James Arnold. Should I marry this girl? Does she like you? That's first and foremost. Let's get, does she like you? We've got to go with that. Is she on the same team? Yeah, yeah. She loves Jesus. She likes me. He goes, that's a good start. Should I? Well, does she like you? Yes. Does she want to she know what you're, you want to do in life? Yes. Then make a decision. <laughs> but what about that ooey-gooey fit? Just make a decision. Right? I go to my professor, and it, it was even stronger. I said, what do you think? Abundance of counselors. He said, you would be stupid not to marry her. I was like, okay, thank you. And then I'm thinking, and it wasn't, it wasn't about her. It was, I was just trying to over-spiritualize it. Because I'm looking at her and I'm like, this is the woman of my dreams. Make a decision. Best decision I ever made outside of Christ. Best decision I ever made. Second best. So let's, second best decision I've ever made. First, first decision was that one time when you sit there and you go, I can't do this. I'm a sinner, and I've been trying to live this progressive life on my own, and I can't do it unless I'm in a position of being right with God. I can't do it. And I didn't come to that decision. I'll just tell you that. I didn't come to that decision because I'm really smart or super good looking or had hair, right? I came to that decision because there is a God who oversees everything, and he pricked my heart, and he is the one who by his sovereign grace opened my eyes to the love of Jesus. And I made that decision in accordance with his predetermined plan. Acts 13 says, and all those who have been appointed to eternal life believed. And that's the order. I was appointed, I believed. And then that second decision, I'm sitting here wrestling, trying to over-spiritualize it. And they just say, look at her. She likes you. Make a decision. I didn't have to, Literally, we were over. We, we ministered to some singles once, and one of them said, well, we should get married because she walked through the door and I walked through the door at the same time, and we were both wearing blue. And I'm like, that's nothing. That, that means nothing to me. But we parked, and we both have white cars. I don't care. Does she love Jesus? Yes. And does she like you? Yes. Well, then get married. <laughs> What, and then I would back up, do you have money in the bank to take care of her? Yes. Then get married. Not about blue shirts and white cars. That's weird. It's weird. It is weird. Just make a decision. God is absolutely sovereign. And so I did. And then we hung out. 
And then we have three kids by God's sovereign grace. And all the while we've been married, I have sinned. And when you do sin, you repent quickly and you move on because you understand God is sovereign and he's working all things for good. Father, so good to call you Father. It's so good to know that you're in absolute control of everything and there's not one thing that has happened to us both tragic and triumphant that you haven't worked out. You are never surprised by anything. And so God, I pray that we would walk out of here bold with decisions we need to make. We would walk out of here cautious of either being deceiving or despising. But we would walk out of here knowing 100% for sure that you're in control of everything and we're going to trust you and we're going to be wise. In Jesus' name, amen. Those who are helping with communion would come forward. Surpassing out the elements, I'll tell you about another sovereign story. Jesus, knowing that he was going to the cross, knowing that he wanted to leave a picture for us to see what he did so that we can experience it as often as we will. On the night that he was going to be betrayed, came and he said this, It says in Mark 14, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them, knowing what was going to happen. Take, this is my body. And he took the cup and he had given thanks and he gave it to him and they drank it. And he said, then this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And he tells them, because he's the perfect God man, understanding sparrows and everything about our lives that we're of more value than animals, we're of more value um, 
than what the world gives us value for. And he says, truly I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. He knew what was going to happen. And in his sovereign plan, I, you know, it makes you wonder just how, I mean, it, it's going to be great when you get to heaven, you get to ask all these questions. But the Trinity, pr- prior to the creation of the earth, like, so when do you think I ought to throw in the institution of the Lord's Supper? Right? They're sitting there talking about it. And God's saying, look, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to wait. And he goes, yes, Father. That's a great idea. Perfect harmony. And every week we get to come here. Don't ever lose this. Don't just go through the motions. And if a week, if there's a week where you just need to sit, nobody's going to, nobody, we're not taking up here, taking notes, who's taking communion, who's not. But if, if there's ever a week you just need to sit and you say, you know what, I'm just not right. It's okay. You need to get right. But understand the picture that's here. long before I met her long before I met Curtis I gave God the finger literally in a drunken stupor in Dallas you just sit there and you think what in the world were you doing and he takes in he takes all that into consideration but you see this picture, and he didn't have to. He chose to. You see this picture. Jesus Christ died on the cross for that. That flippancy, that that arrogance. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, that's why we're here. It's about him. And you don't have to have your life perfect. You don't have to have... You don't have to have it figured out. God does. That's that's the beauty of this whole sermon. But you do have to be humble. And he gave us a picture. He said, this is the blood that was spilled for you. This is the body that was broken for you. Let's take those elements. And 